talking about the whole mainstream media, it reminds me of a few years ago, we we're just talking to one guy who is working in, I think in TV3 or LTM, I can't remember. He was pretty up high. So we're just talking about, you know, how do we promote certain news, certain organizations? And he was like, look, in Malaysia, the television and radio still rules. People still kind of tune into the, you know, now of course you have RTM, you have TV3, NTV7, you have Astro Awani. So people go into this kind of more mainstream thing. And what was reported will be taken as gospel at that level. So people seem to, for lack of a better word, maybe they don't want to work their brain to analyze the news and they just want to accept it as it is. I think we're at that stage in Malaysia not sure what can be done, you know. What do you think can be done to cause people to be awakened? Not an easy question, right? <laughs> Actually, would it be easy to form an alternative media in Malaysia? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, of course, you want to do like what we do with podcasts, we just put on Spotify, nobody is really <laughs> kind of auditing us. I mean, this sort of alternative media, I mean, even Netflix, Disney+, Plus. I don't think government is even curating the content because it's just impossible. But if you want to talk about broadcast, using one of the broadcasting spectrum, I think the compliance is pretty, pretty tough. If government are embracing all the work agenda like ESG, DEI, then they will require your organization to be like that. That is perhaps something that needs to be done because even you talk about in many other nations, uh, I mean, we just use a comparison between competing system. You know, you have the left, you have the right. I mean, broadly speaking, you have media channels that support the left, media channels that support the right. Yeah, I, I guess one of the ways perhaps Lara you're suggesting that someone with a true passion, someone with the finance and the ability should really invest in media, should really invest in education because it's also education. Yeah. So this kind of thing, you know, like in many places, elections, it, it's just like a big business, you know, it's a billion dollar business. Of course, Malaysia also, Malaysia election is all about the government getting more project and kind of divide, you know, it's like, okay, you get this, you get that, then you support me. So it's like cash is king. But we want to educate people beyond that and you need resources, you need finances to even begin to reach out to a wider masses, I guess. Yeah, I guess you, you remember like in 2008, what really become the main driving force behind the political change back in that time was internet. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have Malaysia Kini at that time. There was like one of the leading media with all the, you know, all the so-called the news that you can't read from all this mainstream newspaper. They were one of the main drive behind. And then after that, you have all this Facebook and, and then social media that became another driving force. I think the internet movement at that time also puffed away, I, I guess, for the political change. But I think going forward now, you know, more, more than 10, 15 years later, I would say that this is another reset time again. Mm-hmm. We need another voice that's going to come out. If you look at even news like Malaysia Kini. It's becoming like establishment. A bit stale. Yeah. yeah. I, I think they are becoming a bit like establishment. Mm. Um, it's cute as well. Yeah. And, and some of the article that is posted there, you know, especially pertaining global development, is really from mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say some of the article is posted without context, a proper contextual type of understanding. And I think it is a time where Malaysia would need another type of new voice, new media that has come out. And I think the younger generation are looking for it. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I think COVID really changed the game, especially in Malaysia. In many, many places, I mean, we talk about how the Western democracy, seemingly democratic government, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, UK, they sort of 
clamp down on freedom. I, I mean, when you think about vaccine mandate in those countries are so much worse than Malaysia. So in many ways, we don't have a vaccine mandate in terms of working. We, we have some vaccine mandate. You can go to the mall and things like that, which is, you are still okay. You can still go to work. You know, your, your employee can't force you to vaccinate directly, unlike those places. But like what you were saying, with all these kind of things happening, there is just a lack of voice, either in the media or, or from civil society, and come out and say, hey, our freedoms are being encroached. Our ability to meet, you see, for the longest time, you can't even meet without adhering to SOP. And so many people, including Bar Council, including Civil Rights Society, are so okay with this kind of limitation. So that, I believe, it correlates with what you say, Lan Xu, that we need a new voice because the seemingly voice that caused 308 to happen has become all wineskin, for lack of a better word. They become stale. So it's time for, for that kind of reset. And we know technology every time, even from medieval time, right? You know, when printing press was invented, I mean, that literally caused the whole Protestant movement to come about. So technology is happening and people are so reliant on social media and things like that. Then, then we see the big tech clamping down. Maybe there is going to be another technology that can even sidestep yeah. uh, the big tech. You know, people are even talking about alternative internet, you know, like Russia, China and India want to build their own internet. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised in, in five, ten years' time, Google become obsolete, like yeah, irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, now with the technology, things are progressing faster and faster. Yeah, so it's interesting that you talk about maybe Google becoming obsolete. So another thing that I want to raise up here may be like alternative banking because mm. all these are the things that the establishment has used to cancel the grassroots movement, the populace. So let's talk a little bit about wokeism. Mm -hmm. So wokeism, would you agree that it has entered into Malaysia? So we saw this tweet from Wilfred Raleigh. So he mentioned wokeism is the belief that all of the society is currently and intentionally structured to oppress. So going back to NEP, new economic policy, it was supposed to be that social restructuring where Tung Abdul Razak introduced to Malaysia to eradicate poverty regardless of races. But what has happened, would you think that the very group that they try to promote to have a bit more of a competitive advantage is actually also the group that is being suppressed, being oppressed as well. It's very interesting you use that definition because I think that's an absolute spot-on definition for wokeism. Wokeism, of course, is the basis in America, for example, critical race theory, which is going into many Western society. But when you use that kind of application, then it's like, hey, we already have wokeism since NEP, since May 13, because that is a very basis. Tung Razak was saying, look, the society, the civilization, the nation we inherited from British is bad. So we need to restructure the whole thing. How come it's like, you know, 1957 to 1969? How come after 12 years, you only realize it was bad? I mean, we go back to the root. They lost power. They wanted to control. But I, I think like NEP is really a kind of wokeism. Because you are saying that one particular race, they are like victim and we need to do certain kind of action. I mean, you think from that point of view, affirmative action, which Malaysia is so well known for. And now in US, they are saying, oh, they want restitution. They want, they say, oh, you know, you need to pay trillions to the blacks because we were the most marginalized people. Hello, get alive. You are not the most marginalized race in the world. And that's what wokeism do. It, it creates that kind of victim mindset. 
But the worst thing about NEP, and I think we're coming back again to the breaches that was started by Dung Raza, was that it did not even benefit the Malay. When you think about it, they talk about 30% shareholding, but all these are huge corporations. You know, like Professor Terence Gomez, you wrote a book talking about MOF Incorporated. It's like Ministry of Finance. It's like the biggest corporation in Malaysia. And it owns so many things. Then we have Kazana, we have EPF. So they use this kind of organization to say, hey, the Malay have 30% shareholding, but these are corporate, these are GLC. The ordinary Malay have nothing. To me, it only benefits the elite. And when I say the elite, I'm talking about the Malay elite, I'm talking about the Amno elite, I'm talking about Semi Value, I'm talking about Lin Long Si. All these people are the corrupt people who benefited the most from NEP. Yep. Even going back to what the Norwegian economist, who actually mm. was the very person who is very pivotal towards the whole development of NEP, mm. he mentioned very, very early on, so this is really in his own words, that he knew that this whole structure is really benefiting the elites. Yep. You're sidelining a certain group of people because of the way that you present your data. In those days, maybe it's a bit unimaginable that people would begin to manipulate data where you just put in more foreign ownership sort of companies into the whole data and say, hey, actually we have not reached the threshold, the 30% of Bumi Putra ownership. Hmm. But what they don't realize is that because we put all this data, it's almost like in the coding language, rubbish in, rubbish out. Yep. So you get a rubbish data or maybe you get actually something that is very, very skewed towards because you wanted to present a certain form of data by saying that, oh, actually we haven't reached this. So hence the NEP continues on and on and on. So even now, we think we have already moved away from NEP. We still have shared prosperity, 2030. So shared prosperity is also something that is very woke in its nature. Our finance minister is just talking about ESG incorporating all this thing. And so it's interesting that you mentioned just now about MOF incorporated. Mm -hmm. All these are GRIC. So in Malaysia, there's only just seven of them and they own more than 40% of the market capitalization, <laughs> hmm. which basically all our money are being controlled by this group of people. I mean, this reminds me a bit of what the communist China is doing now, where you see government hands in all the economic sector increasingly. So when you see the building industry implosion that is happening, in fact, some commentators are even saying that what is happening in China is basically construction Ponzi scheme. Yeah. So it's like you, you sell units, I haven't built yet, you pay money, I'm going to use that money to, to build the houses already ordered. So when all of a sudden there's not enough money, you know, they want to cancel the thing. I mean, when we look at even Forest City in Johor, for example, you know most of the buyers are from China, but do you realize that most of them, they are able to get Forest City unit is because they bought another unit in China. So the developer are linked. Buy one in China, you get one free in Forest City. And that is one of the way for them to move capital out because it is so difficult for ordinary citizens to move capital out. So they are also thinking of all the ways because you know, the Chinese people, the Chinese civilization, historically, they are pretty much ruled by money. So every, mm. everywhere there is money, they, they will even be tempted to, to go against government. That, that's the only thing they are more afraid, lack of money. So it's so attractive. I buy one unit in Shanghai, I get mm -hmm. one in Forest City, and all of a sudden, it's stuck. I have heard rumors that there's going to be a huge class action by the buyers because they can't come back. They, they want to cancel the deal. Mm. So, I mean, this is what happened when everything the government has a hand, but what happens when the government is incapable? Yeah. So you talk about even very successful model like, like Singapore. Singapore, of course, so far is still very good, but you can just have a screw up government 
and they have so much say, it, it becomes irreversible. I mean, just put one Mahadir in Singapore, it's game over. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, to their credit, I'll say their leadership has been very tempered, very moderate. But you never know. You, you know, when, when you, you rely so much on government, just oh. put one evil person. Najib, <laughs> Rosma. <laughs> I mean, and you look at the amount of money that was siphoned out going into personal bank account, it's really, I mean, these are taxpayer money. 